0: Hi everybody and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers for November, 2019, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with Jonathan Scott about his book, The Vinyl Frontier, the story of the Voyager Golden Record. This is the fascinating story behind the mission, music, and message of NASA's Voyager Golden Record, Humanity's Message to the Stars. Back in 1977, a team led by the great Carl Sagan was assembled to create a record that would travel to the Stars on NASA's Voyager probe. The Vinyl Frontier reveals the inside story of how the record was created from the first phone call to the final launch when Voyager 1 and 2 left Earth with a playlist that would represent humanity to any future alien race that came into contact with the probe. Each song, sound, and picture that made the final cut has a story to tell. This golden record is a 90-minute playlist of music from across the globe, a sound essay of life on Earth, spoken greetings in multiple languages, and more than 100 photographs. Through interviews with all of the key players involved with the record, Scott pieces together the whole story of the Golden Record, I began my interview with Jonathan Scott by asking him about his background and what got him interested in writing a book about the Voyager Golden Record.
1: Put simply, uh, when I was a little boy in the 1980s, I was obsessed with space. Um, Then when I got a bit older, as a sort of teenager, I was obsessed with music and mixtapes. So um, put those two things together. When I found out that NASA had made a mixtape and put it into space, I kind of thought, oh, this, this sounds up, up my alley, as it were. And I kind of, um, I first wrote about it for Record Collector magazine because I'm a vinyl collector myself and I write for Record Collector, or have written for Record Collector from time to time. And I got to write about it about, oh, is that 12 years ago now? I first wrote about the Golden Record and I re- it, was just a, it was just a page in a magazine and I just thought, the golden record, in all likelihood, is going to outlast our planet. It, it, it Surely it deserves more than a page in a magazine.
0: <laughs> so true. For, for those who aren't familiar, take us back. This was uh, back in, what, 1977, these two Voyager missions that NASA sent out into interstellar space. T- tell us about these missions and, and h- how this first came about.
1: Sure. Well, yeah, the Voyager space probes, yes, you're right. They launched in um, towards the end of 1977, the Voyager 1 and 2, and they visited the outer planets. Voyager 2 particularly went on what's known as the Grand Tour. It visited Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. And then after the primary missions of Voyager 1 and 2 were sort of complete, uh, they they were the gravitational slingshots, fired them off into deep space, and they are both now in interstellar space. Um Give them another 40,000 years and they will get relatively close to another star. So although they're moving incredibly fast, it's going to take still an incredibly long time to really get anywhere. But because they were going to leave our solar system, um, NASA thought it would be good to send a message with them. It was actually the second time they'd done this because in the early 70s, the Pioneer probes had the same ultimate fate. And for that, Carl Sagan, the great American astronomer, made what's known as the Pioneer Plaque. And when Voyager came round, NASA said, Carl, do it again. What are you going to do this time? And Carl Sagan and his another great astronomer, Frank Drake, put their heads together. And it was actually Frank Drake um, who came up with the idea for a record because he was just looking at, a, at the Pioneer plaque that they had done before, this first message for aliens. And he was asking himself, how can we do it better? How can we force more information onto a modestly sized piece of metal and the answer that suggested itself was well we've got to increase the surface area put a whole load of grooves in something like a record and that's a huge a vast increase of surface area but still saying staying the same size so that's where the record idea was born
0: and so, what exactly is on this record? We'll, we'll get into the music side. So, but besides all of this incredible music, what else is on the, the golden record besides music?
1: Ah, well, good question. Um, there's all sorts on there. There's, um, yeah, there's 90 minutes of music. There's um, a kind of sound essay that's about 12 minutes long that's through sort of sound effects of various kinds tries to tell a a story of how life came about on this planet. There are greetings in 55 languages. Um, There's a greeting from President uh, Jimmy Carter, and there are about 120 photographs on the record as well. Um, And it's a slightly hard thing to get your head around, but the photographs are literally encoded into the grooves of the record which is a strange thing because it's not something anyone would ever want to do because, frankly, a record, uh, the, the pictures on the record sound like this. Yeah, yeah, bing. That's rough, Honestly, that's roughly what they sound like if you play the record right now. But that's how they encoded the photographs onto the record. And the photographs were chosen, again, just like the music, just like the sound essay. They were chosen to illustrate humanity, uh, what life is like here circa 1977. And,
0: and um, yeah, and are there instructions like uh, if you encountered this disc, here are instruct. I mean, does it give any instru- instructions like what this is and how one would actually play it? You, you would conceivably use an actual you know turntable with a, a stylus, and, and what speed would it be played at, Jonathan?
1: Well, well, uh, all good questions, and this is the part of the story that always makes me chuckle because it's like NASA's folly. It's wonderful. Basically, yes, it, the record went with a cover. If people search online for Voyager Golden Record, you know, they'll find the cover and there are these strange hieroglyphs that, with no words, and they're there to basically using something called the hyperfine transition of the hydrogen atom. They explain to ET how fast the record needs to go round which direction it needs to go round? where they need to put the stylus. Because NASA sent a stylus and cartridge, but they have left it up to the aliens to build their own turntable, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I really like. But, I mean, there's a logic, because, you know, they, they, they couldn't send a turntable because they, they weren't allowed to send that much weight. And they just figured any, any beings that find Voyager 1 or 2 will be capable of interstellar travel Therefore, they're probably capable of building a turntable. Right. Um, okay. That's but yeah, a- When it's 16 RPM as opposed to the normal, you know, 33, because it meant that they could cram that much more stuff on there.
0: All right. Let, let's jump into the music part of this uh, Voyager golden record. You said there's about 90 minutes of music. Can you give us an overview of what's on there? And my goodness, who, who made the, the final uh, decisions as to who would and wouldn't be on this record in terms of the music?
1: I know. Well, this is right. The first I was first drawn to this story because of the music. In fact, the more I learned about the project, I became you know equally obsessed and interested in other aspects of it. But yes, the music it it grew in quite an organic way. There's a sort of core team. Like I say, it's led by Carl Sagan. He's the figurehead of this project, but he amassed a sort of team. A lot of them working for nothing and a lot of outside consultants and together they just began discussing what the playlist should be like and there was no sort of single czar to say oh it's got to be like this it's got to be like this but the intention from the beginning was that it would be a good it would be not only a sort of greatest hit it would also function as a it would feel like a, a global record they wanted music from all over the earth they also wanted music that was the pinnacle of human composition, if you know what I mean. So the playlist, 90 Minutes, is dominated by Western classical pieces. There are about seven or eight Western classical pieces. And by that, I mean the Brandenburg Concerto's on there, uh, Beethoven's Fifth is on there. There are three pieces by JS Back, two by Beethoven, one by Mark, a piece from Stravinsky, which I don't like. I must admit that's the one on the record I really would get rid of if it was down to me, but it wasn't. Um, and, and then... <laughs> There's a whole load of music from all over the, the world. And for the global music, they, uh, the, the core uh, record committee, as they're known, um, took, took outside expertise, you know, from ethnomusicologists such as the famous um, Alan Lomax, for example. He was the most uh, famous of the outside consultants. And, and then the other sort of important category, as it were, was they wanted one popular song you know, a a floor filler. They wanted a hit on there. And famously, the hit on there is Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Now, there were other songs that were considered. There were other artists that were considered. You know, Elvis was mentioned. The Beatles were famously mentioned. Uh, Bob Dylan was mentioned. But in the end, um, it was actually Andrew Yan, who, um, one of the record committee, she, it was her that first suggested Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. And then from that moment on, campaign, tirelessly for its inclusion. But Alan Lomax, for example, was dead against it. He said, when he heard that Johnny B. Good was in the running, he said, oh, it's for adolescents. To which Carl Sagan said something along the lines of, well, the world's full of adolescents and shouldn't they be represented too? Which is a... A good counter-argument, I think.
0: Uh, yeah, and my, my goodness, as much as I respect Alan Lomax, I, I, I also could not disagree with him more. That, that's a really snooty, snooty elitist attitude, if you ask me. Because uh, you know Chuck Berry uh, appeals more to adolescents. Uh, <laughs> my God, what an what an insult! <laughs> oh, oh, it kind of makes my uh, <laughs> makes me grind my teeth. Oh, goodness. Uh, so yes, Chuck Berry, Johnny, be good, absolutely deserves to, to be on this disc, but uh, uh, I'm sorry, why no Beatles tunes? My goodness. Really?
1: Well, yes. I mean, it, 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 yes, exactly. Um, and apparently the one that was in the running and is was um, Here Comes the Sun.
0: Oh, that and would have been so beautiful. Oh, yes. Well,
1: exactly. it, it really appealed to Carl Sagan because as I say, these spaceships, although they're going incredibly fast, it's going to take about 40,000 years to reach another star. And if you imagine one of them traveling through space forever, you know, for 40,000 years, towards another star. There's something so appropriate about the lyric, Here Comes the Sun. Yeah. (laughs) If you imagine it on an endless loop. Um, But uh, but anyway, the story goes that the Beatles were asked, and the Beatles were all fine with the musing, Here Comes the Sun, but it was the copyright holders who basically just said, we want $50,000 per record. That's 100,000 together. Wow, look at my map. But, um, <laughs> but that was five times, 100,000 was five times the the entire budget for this project that Carl Sagan had been given by NASA. So it was asked the question. And so because of that, it wasn't chosen. Now, that's the story. And in my book, I mentioned this story, but Timothy Ferris, the records producer, one of my interviewees, he says that this has become something of a myth. He remembers it slightly differently. He remembers it being more that, yes, um, The Beatles were in the running. But in fact, the moment Chuck Berry had been singled out for immortality, so to speak, everyone else, you know, it it was a done deal. That was the job done. You know, there was no chance of Beatles, Elvis, Rolling Stones, anyone you like, because Chuck Berry, you know, was in the box seat.
0: Sure, that makes sense. No, I get that. I absolutely get that. One of the uh, other uh, tracks on here of particular interest uh, to me as well, Jonathan, is, is this, uh, oh goodness, this astounding track by Blind Willie Johnson, Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground. That is a powerful, powerful piece of music. H- how did that get chosen? Again, was this Carl Sagan's idea for that track in particular?
1: No, that's another one where um, I have, i I didn't quite get to the bottom of whether... It, basically, Timothy Ferris remembers it being his suggestion, but I've also heard it said that it was Alan Lomax's suggestion as well. And certainly, it, both are likely. Timothy Ferris is an incredibly knowledgeable muso, and Alan Lomax knew lots about about... Um, you know, American folk music and blues, of course. So I think let's just give them both partial credit for it, shall we? But the point is, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. It's the second to last track, and it was chosen above all others for several reasons, but one of them being that in the song Blind Willie Johnson doesn't really say any words. He just kind of gives out these moans. Um, So it just meant that there's nothing for, you know, an alien to interpret. Plus as well, just the title, the fact that it's called Dark Was The Night, Seemed like such an appropriate song title for two records going into deep space. Um, but yeah, they, they, it. Mark, I, I personally, I really love the the way the record goes out. It goes out on a high. The last four or five tracks are, are fantastic. They they're all quite melancholy and romantic and blue. But. But they're, but they're all
0: beautiful, I think. Yeah. What what are those? But be, but be, besides the Blind Willie Johnson track, what 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 are the final tunes on there as well? The last couple.
1: Well, the, the, the fifth from last is a wedding song sung by an unknown young girl in Peru in 1964. It's very short, but you can just really clear, clearly hear her voice. Then there's a really long piece from, that represents China, essentially called "Flowing Streams," which is I didn't like it when I first heard it. I must admit, but it's really grown on me. Then there's the Indian piece, which is performed by Kasabai Kakar, which is just beautiful. Again, I don't remember loving it the first time I heard it, but I, yeah, it's really grown on me. It's a an Indian raga piece, and it's just, it's just lovely. Then Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground. And then the final piece is the, um, is the Cavatina by Beethoven, performed by the Budapest String Quartet, recorded actually in the Library of Congress in um, uh, 1960. But... It's uh, Carl Sagan was on the record saying that he wanted to include some pieces amongst the classical stuff that had emotional impact, you know, because he wanted to sort of share the the human soul, the human condition, as it were, with with the universe. And just in that last piece, I just really think he achieved it because it's just it's it's just a romantic piece full of sort of longing. And oh, it's just, yeah, it gives me goosebumps every time. Fantastic.
0: And my final question, Jonathan, if you could have uh, included one one pick of your own on the golden record that's not on there, what what, what, what would have been your choice?
1: Well, I, I do have several answers for this because <laughs> I'm constantly thinking about it. But just for now, I'm just going to choose Miss um, Misalliance by Flanders and Swan because it's a beautiful little song about two um, climbing plants that fall in love with each other that aren't supposed to be together because one is a bindweed and one is a honeysuckle and um it's just a beautiful love song about uh, love and freedom of choice and i don't know i just feel like in these slightly divided times it's good to remember love and together.
0: Thanks for listening to Martin Bandyke Undercovers for November 2019. Our interview was with Jonathan Scott about his book The Vinyl Frontier: The Story of the Voyager Golden Record. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library.